welcome to episode six of the With Ingram series of podcasts. I'm Philip Ingram, and today I'm talking to you about COVID-19 and giving you an intelligence assessment. Warning, you might actually learn something. So one of the worst things that a prime minister must have to do um, is admit to his country that many more families are going to lose loved ones before their time. And Boris Johnson was forced to say just that at a press conference about what the UK was going to do about the COVID-19 pandemic on the 12th of March. He, along with the country's chief scientist and the chief medical officer for England and Wales, who had consulted and got agreement of uh, the chief medical officers from Scotland and Northern Ireland, explained the current position with regard to the COVID-19 pandemic and what the government's response would be. I think after the briefing, for those of you who heard it uh, with me, uh, the general feeling was that it was considered informative, measured, but frightening all at the same time. However, this hasn't stopped the armchair scientific and medical experts, such as Nigel Farage and Piers Morgan, those great doctors and scientists that we know of from berating the response because it doesn't match or go further than the responses of some other countries. Comments from influencers like Morgan, such as the government seems to be avoiding draconian shutdown action now because we will all get too bored with it, displays actually either a shocking naivety, that from a journalist is at least unhelpful, but certainly it shows a level of unprofessionalism. Maybe now is the time to do a proper intelligence assessment of what we know about. Now, I'm going to caveat intelligence assessments, uh, and you have to realise that um, uh, intelligence is very often blamed after the fact for not seeing things that were not there at the time of writing. It is an assessment at a snapshot of time, and as the situation develops and more information or unknowns become known, then that assessment is likely to change. No enemy in the battlefield ever follows the plan because there's an intelligence assessment telling them that that's what they're supposed to do. No terrorist gets caught um, because he's been following an intelligence assessment to say this is what the security services are going to be doing to try and stop him. No virus will do exactly as predicted. It's an assessment. So what's a virus? Well, the Microbiological Society describes a virus as the smallest of all microbes. Some are so small that 500 million could fit on the head of a pin. They're unique because they're only alive and able to multiply inside the cells of other living things. And the cell they multiply in is called the host cell. A virus is made up of a core genetic material, either deoxyribonucleic acid, the double helix or DNA, or a single strand of that um, called ribosnucleic acid, or RNA. And that's surrounded by a protective coat called capsid, which is made up of protein. Sometimes the capsid itself is surrounded by additional spiky coat called the envelope. And there is that with the virus that causes the COVID-19 disease. Under a process called lysis, um, virus particles, when they've replicated enough, burst out of the host cell into the extracellular space, resulting in the death of that host cell. And it's this that causes the damage to the host organism and the symptoms of whatever disease um, that is experienced and, and caused by that particular virus. Um, and when many cells are killed, um, that, that those symptoms grow more and more. But once the virus has escaped the host cell, it's ready to enter a new cell, multiply again, and just keep on going and going and going. Uh, an organism, if exposed to the virus or a similar version, uh, if it's been exposed to it in the past, may have a degree of immunity as it's got a sort of genetic pattern, a genetic template to develop its own antibodies to try and fight the virus and restrict their spread. However, 
the danger is when there's a novel virus, that template doesn't exist inside the body and organisms have no pre-prepared defences for these and they have to start from scratch. Uh, and they're building it up in the same way that we're trying to develop our vaccines ourselves. And the vaccines are just there to stimulate the development of that template. So the next question has to be, what is coronavirus and what is COVID-19? Well, according to the Centre for Disease Control and Prevention in the United States, the CDC, coronavirus is the name for a family of viruses that were first identified in the 1960s. They're named for the crown-like spikes on the surface or envelope, and there are four main subgroups known as alpha, beta, gamma and delta. People around the world commonly get infected with some human coronaviruses, um, and in recent years, it's been identified that coronaviruses that infect animals can evolve and jump the species gap into humans. Three recent examples are Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, or SARS, and the virus is known as SARS-CoV-1, or Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, or MERS, which were both identified as beta viruses. And now we've got the Corona Disease 19, or COVID-19, which has been designated as a novel coronavirus, i.e. it doesn't fit into any of the ready-known categories, and therefore any immunity to other types of coronavirus that is present in the species can be bypassed by this strain. The name of the virus that causes the COVID-19 disease is Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus-2, SARS-CoV-2. Much is already known about coronaviruses um, and about their protein makeup, their genetic coding, their transmission, their strengths and their weaknesses. And there's been over 50 years of research into them already. And SARS and MERS have given uh, recent impetus to the scientific community to continue that. SARS-CoV-2 um, is closely related to SARS-CoV-1, which emerged in 2002. Therefore, the scientific fight against COVID-19 disease is not from a standing start. It's from a position of many years of research. That can only be a good thing. So where did COVID-19 come from? Well, here conspiracy theories abound as the reality is that the origin of SARS-CoV-2 is only really a sort of scientific assessment. However, it is based on that 50 years of research into coronaviruses and that uh, the international scientific community um, is very quick at checking and commenting on uh, all the relevant works and studies of other members of the scientific community, uh, and their assessment is therefore probably accurate because peer review is commonly used in the scientific community to make sure that things are properly checked uh, and the checks and balances are done. The World Health Organization situation report of the 21st of January 2020 said that on the 31st of December 2019, WHO's China office heard the first reports of a previously unknown virus behind a number of pneumonia cases in Wuhan City, um, which is in eastern China. And on the 11th and 12th of January 2020, WHO received further detailed information from the National Health Commission in China that the outbreak uh, was associated with exposures in one seafood market in Wuhan City. In February, Nature magazine reported that Chinese scientists suggested on a basis of genetic analysis that the prime suspect was the scaly ant-eating pangolin. However, it then went on to say that scientists have now re-examined that data and say that although the animal is still a contender, the mystery is far from being solved. Other animals are known to host various coronavirus strains um, and they were being sold like the pangolin in the market and one of those animals is, is the bat. Um, MERS and SARS uh, were originally coronavirus viruses hosted on bats uh, and it's now thought that they're the most likely contender for the source of um, this 
uh, SARS-CoV-2, causing the COVID-19 disease. Um, apportionment of the source is made slightly more conspiratorial um, by the fact that Wuhan is the site of China's only facility designated at a biosafety level 4. And this is known as the Wuhan Centre for Disease Control, WHCDC. It was constructed in 2004 following the SARS emergency to conduct research into countering such viruses. But a level 4 facility is designed to stop the escape of even the smallest particles, so accidental escape is highly unlikely. And despite sensational speculation in some press circles, there is no evidence in the scientific community, and these are the people who would hear about it first, that the COVID-19 disease is a result of WHCDC activity. Coronavirus species jumps have been identified in the past. Bats were identified as the source of the SARS coronavirus, and given the initial reporting in the city of Wuhan and the focus around the seafood market, it is highly likely that the ground zero for the COVID-19 disease-causing virus is Wuhan and that seafood market. However, it is possible that the exact source will never be identified and therefore likely that sensationalised speculation will continue. So how dangerous is COVID-19? Well, COVID-19 is a new illness and as such, no one will have any inherent immunity to the virus that causes it uh, and an understanding of how the disease develops in humans is just being observed. This lack of inherent immunity means that the herd immunity principles that restricts the spread of known viruses and the peak of their impact in numbers does not exist. The main symptoms of COVID-19 are a cough, high temperature and in severe cases, shortness of breath. According to NHS England, because COVID-19 is a new illness, exactly how it is spread from person to person is not fully understood. However, the World Health Organization says the disease can spread from person to person through small droplets from the nose or mouth, which are spread when a person with COVID-19 coughs or exhales. These droplets land on objects and surfaces around the person. Other people then catch the COVID-19 by touching these objects or surfaces, then touching their eyes, nose or mouth. People can also catch COVID-19 if they breathe in the droplets from a person with COVID-19 who coughs out or exhales droplets. It goes on to say that illnesses due to COVID-19 infection are generally mild, especially for young children, young adults. However, it can cause serious illness in, they estimate, about one in every five people who catch it, um, uh, and they may need hospital care, and a smaller percentage of those go on to more severe um, uh, symptoms. Uh, while we're still learning about how covid uh, 19 affects people, older people and persons with pre-existing medical conditions such as high blood pressure, heart disease, lung disease, cancer or diabetes appear to develop uh, serious illness more often than others. The UK government says a minority of people who get COVID-19 will develop complications uh, severe enough to require hospital care, most often for pneumonia. And in a small proportion of these, the illness may be severe enough to lead to death. And that's what Prime Minister Boris Johnson confirmed in his statement of the 12th of March. On the 30th of January this year, the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a public health emergency of international concern. And on the 11th of March, formally declared it as a pandemic. And a pandemic is simply a new disease for which people do not have immunity that spreads around the world beyond expectations. Exact death rates expressed as a percentage of infections is virtually impossible to accurately state at this time, as many who have contracted the disease will have very mild symptoms, are unlikely to be tested so formally diagnosed, and therefore recorded as having it, but could still transmit it to others. So, uh, overall, COVID-19 is extremely dangerous to certain parts of the community, but will have little 
impact on most sufferers. However, as there's no herd immunity, there's a very real potential um, for the most vulnerable to require hospitalisation um, all at the same time, overwhelming medical facilities. Anyone with a disease, even with um, very mild symptoms, can transmit it. Much has yet to be learned uh, about this disease and its impact. So the so what of this is that it is critical that measures to reduce the number of severe cases and spread them over as long a period of time as possible to ensure medical facilities and staff are not overwhelmed are taken. Those measures must be taken by all potential sufferers to have the best outcome. People should take statistics in the press with an understanding of the reality that they're likely to be wrong and over-exaggerated uh, and um, if taken in isolation, that uh, over-exaggeration is almost certain. So what can be done about COVID-19? Well, every country seems to be taking a slightly different approach to dealing with it. Um, and this is just fueling political opportunism, sensational headlines, um, and they're playing on the real fears of the population. And in turn, this causes anxiety in the financial markets, wiping billions off their value. Uh, but one thing is clear, it will pass. The UK has very robust tried and tested processes and procedures for dealing with pandemics. This is nothing new, this sort of planning. The World Health Organization has been talking about the threat from what they've called disease X or a disease X scenario for some years. Um, and that's led to an understanding of the spread, measures of how to deal with the spread of pandemics um, for theoretical diseases. And these have been modelled and exercised frequently. And the government has a series of plans to deal with these incidents ready to go. On the 3rd of March 2020, the government published the Coronavirus um, 19 or COVID-19 Action Plan based on its experience in dealing with other infectious diseases and its influenza pandemic preparedness work. The UK government and devolved administrations, including the health and social care system, have planned extensively over the years for an event like this. The UK is therefore well prepared to respond in a way that offers substantial protection to the public. The plan confirms that the majority of people with COVID-19 have recovered without the need for any specific treatment, and it is expected that the vast majority of cases will um, best be managed at home. Now, the planning principles that the UK and devolved administration have used are undertake dynamic risk assessment of potential health and other impacts using the best available scientific advice and evidence to inform decision-making. Minimise the potential him health impact by slowing the spread in the UK and overseas and reducing infection, illness and death. Minimise the potential impact on society and the UK and global economy, including key public services. Maintain trust and confidence amongst the organisations and people who provide key public services and those who use them. Ensure dignified treatment of all affected, including those who die. Be an active global player working alongside the World Health Organization, the Global Health Security Initiative, the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control uh, and neighbouring countries in supporting international efforts to detect the emergence of a pandemic and early assessment of the virus by sharing scientific information. To ensure that the agencies responsible for tackling the outbreak are properly resourced to do so and that they have the people, equipment and medicines that they need and any necessary changes to legislation that are taken forward as quickly as possible. And be guided by the evidence that is regularly reviewed and regularly reviewed research um, and look at wider development needs in collaboration with research partners to enhance uh, pandemic preparedness and response. And the key is that 
Everything is evidence-based, balanced, well-planned, frequently modelled, and this has led to four phases, and they are contain, delay, research, mitigate. And contain was all about detecting early cases, follow up those close contacts, and prevent the disease from taking hold in the country for as long as reasonably possible. We're through that now. We're in the pandemic stage. So we're in delay. Slow the spread in this country. If it does take hold, lower the peak impact and push it away from the winter season. Then research is research to get better understanding of the virus and the actions that will lessen its effect on the UK population, innovate responses including diagnostics, drugs and vaccines, use evidence to inform the development of the most effective models of care. And that research phase will be going on in parallel with contain, delay and mitigate. Um, It is not a sequential process. And then we get into Mitigate, which will provide the best care possible for those who become ill, support hospitals to maintain essential services and ensure ongoing support for people ill in the community to minimise the overall impact of the disease on society, public services and the economy. The aim across the board is to delay the onset of rapid cross-infection through the population and spread the peak and most severe cases out over a longer period of time, enabling current and surge medical capabilities to deal with the effects of the COVID-19 disease on those most affected. However, a plan is only as good as those who adhere to it, and the government advice to the general public needs the general public to follow that advice if there is any hope of the plan to succeed. Social distancing, uh, seeking advice from the 111 website, hand washing are all examples of what the general public need to do to keep the government plan on track and to save as many of the most vulnerable people and severe cases as possible. The measures being outlined to deal with COVID-19 epidemic are considered, modelled, progressive, well-planned and thought through by every expert in the field. They're not made up on the hoof. They are designed to minimise the impact on sufferers, on society, on business and in life in general. The measures do require greater public understanding and cooperation and this is one time when sensationalism and speculation is unhelpful at best but more likely to be deadly if taken out of context. So why are other governments taking different actions? Well, this is a constant question in the press at the moment. Um, Other governments may take different actions as they've got different cultural norms, um, greater family involvement, greater elderly family involvement, um, different scientists with different opinions. The scientific assessment is based on opinion. You know, Every scientist has got a slightly different view on things. Um, they'll likely be at different stages of the pandemic um, and the priorities with regard to healthcare, healthcare systems are, are, are different. So they'll have different balances between primary healthcare, secondary healthcare, um, uh, the uh, high intensity healthcare capabilities and all the rest of it. So those all have to be taken into account. You know, so they're likely to um, have different strain and breaking points. Um, and a, a final consideration is, unfortunately, I think um, you, there, there's going to be different political considerations you know, in looking at decisions as to what to do. You know, for example, France closing the schools and universities puts additional strain on adults, some of who are key to the yellow vest processes. Um, the banning of groups of 100 more could again, uh, and I emphasise could because I, I don't believe this question has actually been formally asked, make it easier for President Macron to control anti-government sentiment, such as the yellow vest protests, which... Um, uh, with greater pandemic spread could flare up even more. In Ireland, the pressure um, on the closure of schools um, and universities and sports events will force the political parties to agree to a new government more quickly. 
Unfortunately, in this world, one has to consider that there are political actions as part of disaster consequence management as well, and they may not necessarily be for the best interests. Um, the current COVID-19 pandemic is a serious situation that will likely result in a number of deaths. That number will be very a very small percentage of those who actually catch the disease, as most people will recover, uh, many even without being formally diagnosed. Critical to keeping the death toll at as low as numbers possible is the flattening out of the peak number of severe cases at any one time in order to reduce the burden on medical facilities and personnel. Current understanding of how the pandemic spread is good. Current planning for dealing with the pandemic has been scrutinised by some of the best brains in the country and are generally well thought through. And they can rely on evidence-based assessments that have been modelled extensively. Corona-19 will disrupt normal activities for a period of time and then society will recover. However, as ever, the success of any plan requires the support and cooperation of all involved. And in a pandemic scenario, that means the general public. Recovery time for society will depend totally on cooperation and sticking to the well-tested plan. MERS, SARS, uh, COVID-19 are just the latest of a series of viral infections and there will likely be more in the future and many will have um, a smaller impact but the potential remains for some to have an even greater impact on society. The best advice of all remains on the front cover of Douglas Adams' famous book The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It says simply, don't panic. I do hope you found this useful. Please feel free to share it as widely as you possibly can. Um, it's on all of the known players, but you're listening to it on your favourite player now, I hope. It's been a real pleasure talking to all of you. Goodbye.